Welcome again to the Real Life Theology Podcast. Again, this is Chris with you. We're just excited to continue to have these breakout sessions and really just learn more from each one that we're diving into together. I just encourage you to be able to really listen to all of them, take it all in. This is really valuable content that I think is helping a lot of people. I know it's helped me as I'm listening through these. So let's just keep joining in together and listening to them today. All right, my name is Jay Austin. Uh, This is developing a culture of discipleship with families in your church. We in this room are bearers of the image of Christ. We are passing on to another generation the love of Jesus Christ, the hope that comes in salvation. We are passing that through our daily interactions. We're passing that on through the things that we say, but we're really passing it on because we are image bearers of the one who created us. And so we want to talk through what it means to create a family discipleship plan. Here's my goal, to create a family discipleship culture where it becomes natural to think, put your hand on your finger, this is obviously family, to feel your heart and to do the things of Jesus. Okay, And so you look at these three things and you can pass by it very quickly, but these fully fit into the understanding of what we're trying to do. We're trying to get children and youth to think feel, and act like Jesus. The big thing is we have to help parents think, feel, and act like Jesus. Because they're going to, children are going to, youth are going to repeat what they see. By the time a child is 12 years old, we all know that they have already developed all of the moral foundation that they're ever going to have in their life, more than likely. They have already learned their parents extremely well. They know what they think. They don't even have to be told what they think anymore. They already know what they think. And so you just move into a practicing time as you think, feel, and act like Jesus. So the thing that we have heard over the last few years are, parents, you are responsible for your children's discipleship, not the church. How many would say they've heard that statement before over the last few years? Many times that statement is said, parents, don't you understand? You are to be the disciplers in your child's life, right? It's very enthusiastic. It's almost angry. And so we have this feeling from uh, the, the church that parents, don't you get it? So here's the way that I describe it. Most parents are looking at this message. Parents, you're to be responsible for your child's discipleship. And they're hearing this message and they're thinking to themselves, no one showed me how to disciple. And so it's kind of like realizing that my car is broken down and somebody starts yelling at me, telling me statistically, you should be able to fix your car and make it perfect so that you can drive it anywhere that it needs to be driven and no one else will ever mess up your car. Okay? That's a lot of pressure. Wouldn't you agree? And so we have to begin as church leaders, as people who are passionate about helping others to disciple their children, to to realize that we're helping them become mechanics for their children's discipleship. We've got to, for ourselves, look and say, what are the tools that we're actually giving them to work on this thing? And how are we equipping them and teaching them to actually lift this, open the hood and work on it? Would you agree with me on that? So we, as uh, thinking about through Renew and through our church, we're wanting to come up with some really clear ways that parents, what it looks like to have the responsibility of doing discipleship with your kids. Some of you have seen this graph before. It came out uh, from Barna and uh, Awana just last year. And it shows that the church says, people at church say that 95% needs to fall on the parents for discipleship. Okay, So they're saying that, Only 5% of churches are saying that we are the responsible ones for the discipleship of children of youth. Okay, The church is saying 95%. 
In the home, 55% are saying it's the church's job. And so there's a disconnect somewhere that says who is responsible, who is ultimately responsible. Here's what I would say to you. I've read the Bible. Anybody else had a chance to look in it lately? There's this weird thing that happens. It's like family and church are the same thing. It's not an event that takes place once a week. It's not this separation. So I would also say let's not take for granted what happens that one hour on Sunday morning because we are partnering together to be in relationship all week long with families. And so we need to change kind of our viewpoint that it's not a 50-50, it's a 100-100. Let's just go in. How about it? Let's just decide that we're going to go all in. Because we have some children that are coming out of families that they have no clue how to start a discipleship plan. And the church may need to build that up a little bit. On the other hand, I have parents coming to me and saying, we're deep into this thing. We've got our plans together. What else can we do? And I'm going, right? And so somewhere along the way, it's a partnership of people who love the Lord and look into the faces of children and youth and going, we love you. And if we love you, that love had to come from somewhere. It came from a creator who put it in our hearts to be able to love. And so we want to love you like Jesus. And we want to make this a serious endeavor of our lives. We don't want to cast blame. We want to try to figure out whose responsibility it is. We want to help parents truly disciple their kids. Everybody on board with me so far? All right. So we look at it and, and we see that in this process that only 10% of Protestant churches provide parents, guides, and resources for parenting. Some of you are going to have to start waving really hard because I feel the heat coming on, right? It's starting to get warm in here. And so if we look at that, we can look at our own churches and say, are we really equipping parents to disciple? Assuming some of them are really good at it, but most of them have not been discipled themselves. And so they're going to need the tools. They're going to need the equipping. They're going to need the encouragement. And it has to be our focus. It can't be an emphasis. Let me say that again. It has to be our focus, not the emphasis. Many of you in the room have already looked at the statistics. I don't have to go through all of those to say the children of this generation are not staying faithful to the gospel. They are losing their faith. They are moving on or they're never experiencing a true faith. They're experiencing a come and experience fun faith, but they've never learned what it means to walk in trusting and following Jesus with their whole hearts. Okay, so how are we going to uh, deal with this? Because what happens is dads feel guilty and moms feel fearful, feel fearful. And so dads are saying, well, I can never do enough. I can never do enough. I can never do it. It seems like I'm always failing. And mom's over here praying, going, God, make him a great man. Make him a great man, Lord. And he's going, I don't know how to fix the car. Right? And so there's this shame, fear thing that goes back and forth, back and forth. And so we have to get to the point as leaders in a church that we're saying we recognize what's really going on. We're not going to try to shame or cause fear. What we're going to do is partner together, and we're going to believe that there are some answers, that we're not just walking into a sea that's lost. Because listen, <laughs> just so you know, when Jesus was walking this earth, it was tough to be a Christian, right? And when his disciples began to walk it after he raised into heaven, they were still bringing families along, talking about the good news of Christ, and it was hard times. We think our times are hard. Let me tell you, it doesn't get any harder than somebody taking a, wrong and, a rock and hitting you against the head because of what you believe. That's tough stuff. And so we have opportunities to walk into this with families and believe this, that discipleship can happen, but what happens is it's also beautiful. Now I want you to adopt that word, if you will, just to please me. Or to recognize that God has really given us this word beautiful. 
Suffering is beautiful. We saw that in the testimony earlier. And so we can give that message to kids, not that suffering is this awful thing that makes you not be able to enjoy the things of this world, but it's a beautiful thing of loving someone so much that he gave his life for you that you're going to have to make sacrifices. And sometimes people are going to say things about you that are, are, are hurtful. You may find yourself countercultural, but not because you chose to be countercultural. It's because you're a lover of Jesus, and that just happens to be countercultural. I didn't set out to be countercultural. I just became that thing, right? And so that's okay because there's a beauty that lives within that. So what we do is a biannual family discipleship summit. We do this in February and September for the sole purpose of giving tools to families. It's a three-hour event. It could probably be a 20-hour event, and we still wouldn't get through it all, okay? But we do it for three hours because we want the dads to say, I want to go to the next one, right? I'm just telling you the truth, right? And so we do it for three hours. It is a thing that we do some head knowledge. Here's the head stuff. Here's the heart of why we're doing discipleship with our families, and here's actually the practical of how you do it. Our focus is... Uh, in traditional family ministry between the ages of birth and 18, but we extend this to age 24 um, because that's a very key time when kids are either finding their place in school, their place in uh, the work field, and parents really need to be parents and disciple during that time and have a plan during that time because the goal is at 24, we're actually releasing children to be adults to disciple their kids. And so there's a plan to get there. If not, we're not going to end up there. And so I'm more concerned about my grandkids right now than I am my kids. Maybe you're at a different place in your life, (laughs) but I'm more concerned about the children that are not even here yet. If God so determines and Jesus so tarries, they will be living in a world that's very different than the world I lived in. So how can I equip my children? How can I equip them to disciple their children? Make sense? Everybody following me? And so we do, uh, what we do is we look at the overall goal. What is your goal between birth and 24? And we look at it every time. Here's your, your child is seven years old. Where are you going between now and the time they're 24? Are you on track? And I'll explain that just a little bit more. And then we do a six month. Here's my plan to disciple for the next six months. Okay. And so talking about the beautiful vision, here's where it comes from in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4. And it's through 9. I'm going to read the first part. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give to you today that they will be on your heart. Jesus picked up on this when he said, what's the greatest command? It is the uh, thing that would have been said to him as a child. Early in the morning, it would have been talked about at lunch, and it would have been in the afternoon. And he was asked, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, your brain, your heart, and the things that you do. That's what he said. The second under this, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So the second thing we have to train up the kids to do is not only to think about God with who they are, but to put a 10 on everybody's head because that's the way God sees them and see themselves as a 9 because the Bible says to think of yourself a little lower than everyone else. So I get to put a 10 on everybody's head because then I get to look at them and say, okay, God sees you as a valued person. And that, that, that part's free. It goes on. Uh, in this, I want you to see that it's talking specifically, this command is talking first to the adults and the parents. That's who it's talking to. So it's a requirement before I start discipling my kids that I've t- done an assessment of my own life. Until I've done that assessment of my own life, my kids are doing that assessment on me. Make sense? They're watching. They know whether I'm walking faithfully in the things that I'm encouraging them to do. Then it goes into this. Impress them on your children. 
Talk to them when you sit down, sit in home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them as on their forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is one of the things that we do say to our parents over uh, this year of Vacation Bible School. Uh, we got these little bracelets, and it's to remind the kids of this uh, scripture verse. But we say to parents, decorate your kids' house, their rooms, their doors with scripture verse and things that you want them to see. And when you get in the car and you're listening to things, find edifying things that they're going to listen to. They don't need to hear talk radio. Now, that's been a big deal over the last couple of years. Everybody's trying to get the news, the latest news, want to hear this opinion. And so in Nashville, we have basically two different options on that. And so it's either for or against, against or for, whichever one you are. The last thing that kids in this generation need is more stress. They need to hear what it is that God wants them to hear. And so those are some things that come out of this scripture verse. We could spend the next 15 minutes just talking about this scripture verse. But I want to get on from the head to the heart. The vision of family discipleship, I want to give you this, birth through 18, our hope is beyond. That's what our family does. I work with many families just like you do. If there are families who are committed to family discipleship, there is never a time that they say to their child at age 14 that says to them, I don't want to go to youth group and I don't want to be involved with that group anymore because they're this or they're that, that you look at them and go, hmm, I'm sorry you don't like and you're not having fun at church. Okay, you know, we'll go and you can stay here or you can just go find somewhere else or something else that you want to do. And oh yeah, since you're playing travel ball, we'll call that your church time and we'll just have a little scripture verse instead. My son was an all-American football player. I know the pressure. I know the pressure. But the people you surround your kid with will be the people they become. And we have to help parents understand that we are helping them surround themselves with other people. Hopefully, if we build a culture, who are also raising their children to love and know Jesus Christ. So the likelihood of them staying faithful to their faith becomes much higher because of the cohort group that they've been with. For my boys, both of them, they never said to me, Dad, I don't want to go to church. Because from the time that they were seven, I started saying to them, Hey guys, you guys just go to church till you're 18. After you're 18, that's on you. I gave them control, but it was way out there. And I started it early. I started it early, and they never asked not to. And so I would just encourage your parents as you're talking to them, or if you have kids, just start that narrative. Start that conversation. This is what we do. It's no big deal. We don't even have to argue about it, <laughs> right? We don't even have to. It's, it's cool. This is what we do. But then make sure that the cohort group that is around them is parents that are supporting in the way that you're supporting. And that requires as parents that we find those other parents and we love them well. As church leaders, we surround people. We put people together. We're able to do that at our church through small groups, right? Some of you are doing that, and so some of those cohorts start, but you've got to intentionally do that. It won't help. It will not happen by accident. Uh, what we start when we talk about starting with the end in mind, uh, birth through age 24, I just want you to see this, and, and this again is another hour long conversation if we're doing um, a breakout with parents, and that is that there are off ramps for children. At the age of uh, seven, uh, 11, there's a natural off ramp for kids between 11 and 12. A lot of them 
get their cell phones during that time because they're playing sports and they have other activities and it's a time for them to say, well, I'm too busy to be involved. And so we busy them up, right? We get them going and a lot of, so it's a natural off ramp. At age 14, kids are now at a place that they are um, beginning to build relationships. They found their identity pretty strongly within groups of people. And so then they start finding ways to connect with that group of people outside of church. And so that becomes a priority in their minds if we don't keep pushing them back in. At age 16, they get their cars, they can drive, they can tell you you're going to church, they can tell you they're going to youth group, they can tell you they're hanging out with this friend or that friend, but they can pretty much do anything they want to do, right? And so these are natural off-ramps at 18, at 21, and at age 24. Those are actually at 18 is the one that we have the biggest, we lose the biggest control as parents and as leaders. But these are natural off-ramps. If they go to college, they're going to be around a whole core, whole core of people who now are telling them everything that they learned from the time that they were born was idiotic. Okay? They can't just show up to that. They have to be prepared for it. And so that's part of setting those things in place. I will tell you this. Uh, many of you know this that's done any study in children and youth. At the age of 24, the front temporal lobe comes to its full fruition. At that point, your brain starts to die. Any of you over the age 24, I'm sorry. You're dying. <laughs> You're dying. So in other words, what happens is you've got more cells developing up until 24 than are, than are being shuffed or dying off. At the age of 24, you actually have more dying off that than are being produced. Okay. So there's something that happens in the front temporal lobe that is the executive processor that starts the amygdala saying, no, that's an idiotic thing to do. Don't do it. And if we can get them to that, usually they will start picking up what the Bible says, train up a child in the way they will go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Between 18 and 24, they may be departing even up until 30 because we're delaying a lot of maturing in our culture now. But there's something that happens that they go, oh, mom wasn't an idiot, right? And something just kind of flows out at that point. So having that long-term vision is so key in putting together discipleship uh, with people. Uh, I have a book that just kind of goes through each one of those, and they have milestones um, that that uh, if you're interested, I can get you these for like $2.50. If you'd like to give them out to your church, I'll get them to you at cost. Uh, but it just it's a workbook, and it goes through how to make each one of these stages a milestone event that you surround those children with mentors. You give them a memory, what I call Ebenezer's, of what people thought about them at that point and what God was doing in their life at that point. So they don't ask the question, who am I and do I have identity issues? There have been significant people at significant times calling out the identity in them and saying, this is what we believe God is doing in your life. So let me just encourage that as a, whew, I'm going really fast. How am I doing time-wise? All right, so this is kind of the big umbrella. See what we've done so far? Talked about the head a whole lot. Okay, we've put a big umbrella over the crawl, over the top of it. Now we're going to just break it down a little bit. First things, lasting things. Uh, these are just slides I want to introduce to you. Uh, the, the in family ministry, the soil is the family unit. It's the thing that that is it's growing up in. And I can tell you, in every family, there is typically a father or father figure, a mother or mother figure, and they're coming into that with soil of some kind either good, bad, or indifferent in different areas, okay? So that's where the child is going to build their foundation. And between birth and three, many of you are already aware of this. I'm not telling anybody anything new. They are solidifying what it means to be a husband and wife. They are solidifying what it means to be in a loving relationship. 
They are solidifying whether they understand what safety or insecurity means. They are solidifying if they are secure or if there's a threat. And the rest of their life will be based on those first things, lasting things. And so a lot of times when we're talking to a child that has a lot of anxiety, it may have started right here. And it goes into concrete. So we want to expose them to as little as possible, as much as possible. (laughs) So them hearing about Jesus and the love of Jesus and seeing the love of others and that that foundational stuff, that's concrete. But if they're in, like my wife was growing up in a home where the father was volatile and there was actually a knife that landed in her bed one night from him throwing it at her mother before they were separated, that is... Somewhere in the memory of my wife, and I can tell you, we've gone through many years of going, why do you feel this threat? Why do you feel alone? Why do you feel like that I'm going to leave you like your dad did, right? And so we deal with all of these issues because we're bringing soil to the concrete. You following? Okay. All right. I'm going so fast. So then uh, three through five is really the time you're building the exterior walls. Uh, it's, it's a time that your child is just beginning to interact with other people and form uh, the uh, understand the values. From five to eight, you're putting a roof on their head. At that point, and when I say roof, I'm saying that you're keeping out the, the things that would normally come in and crush your child. You're setting up things that would help them understand who they are, their identity, safe, secure, acceptability. I could go into all of those uh, pieces. During this entire part, you are actually um, dealing with identity and sexual development issues the whole time. So when we start talking about uh, the LGBTQ stuff that's going on, and we talk about how our culture is accepting all of these things, the foundation for your child understanding that by age seven is pretty much solid, right? And so we've got to make sure that we've put a solid roof over their head as they become exposed into their uh, nine and 11-year-old years of determining who they are and they start making their own choices into 15, 12 through 15. They're starting to listen to their peers more than they're listening to you, but they're still going all the way back to the soil here to, see, to test it against whether the concrete is solid or not. And then they finally get to the point that they own their own house, and that's between 16 and the age of 24. One of the things that we slow down in our culture so much is the ownership of the house. We want to hold them till 18, some people until 22 and 24. If we are not starting to give ownership over to children at the age of 12, they will be ill-prepared to face the world they're about to live in. They have to start learning to own technology themselves. They have to start learning to own. And when I mean own, I don't mean they go out and buy it, but they're responsible for the content they're coming in contact with and they're talking about it and they're not living in fear of, did did I just see something that my mom or dad are going to now ground me over? We need to have the fluid ownership of the house up through age 24 when we say, listen, we've done our best and it wasn't perfect, but we love you and we know that God loves you. And would you just go out and as you have questions, our home is always a place that you can come and you can be that little boy or little girl that we love, but we'll always be your coach. We'll always be here for you to walk this out with you, to give it to them to own. You've probably heard the statistic that says that the average first-time visitor to your church decides within seven minutes if they're not coming back. So what are they encountering in those seven minutes that has the potential to make or break their experience. I'm Abby Barris, designer and ministry veteran, and I would love to help you make those seven minutes as effective as possible. 
You can find me at abbybarrisinteriors.com or at churchdesignhelp.com to learn more about how I can help you create strategic spaces that support your processes, communicate your values, and make space for everyone. This comes into kind of the parenting styles. You may just want to take a picture of this and study it a little bit. Uh, I always focus in our community, especially since COVID and Christians, is the difference between authoritative and authoritarian. There used to be a thing that we made fun of called helicopter parents. How many of you have ever heard of helicopter parents? Then we went to lawnmower parents. Then we went to bulldozer parents. And then we went, I mean, we just got it. We just made fun. We used to have a hoop holler about it. <laughs> yeah. But now since COVID hit, it's like everybody landed the helicopter and put the kids under it, right? It's like we're so afraid that the culture is going to affect them some way that we are like crouching around them saying, don't breathe until we tell you to. And it really is stagnating some of our child development. So we have to look at, are we being authoritarian? These are the rules. This is how you will act. This is the way it's going to be. Or authoritative, high expectation. These are the rules. These are the boundaries. This is what we expect. But my lap is where you sit, not over across the room. I'm not just pointing my finger at you. And helping people see the difference of that is really something that we're dealing with in our culture. We all know about the neglecting parent and the permissive parent. I just want you to uh, be aware of those. We would spend a, normally a lot more time with this. You're getting just the highlights of building the culture. I just want you to see this, though. You can take a picture of it or look it up in your slides. The authoritative over time, as we've looked at the difference in the parenting styles, is that there is a self-image that is positive, balanced, and they have self-values. Their emotions are regulated instead of just being hyperbolic or just kind of bouncing off the walls. That doesn't mean that there's not seasons that we all go a little crazy. Amen? Okay. Social skills, uh, social responsibility, they have peer pressure affects them less because they have their own voice. They're not always asking somebody else to give them a voice. And they are confident in uh, achieving and open. This is if you take a bell curve and you look at it and you look at the 66 percentile, you're always going to have children on one end or the other. But this is what we see in the authoritative style of parenting, as opposed to the authoritarian where there tends to be low self-value. They don't have their own voice. They haven't developed their ability to say no because they're so used to saying, what do you want me to do? And so they're responding out of that. A lot of information there. Let me give you this as a tool. This is something that was put out by Focus on the Family that I think is just a beautiful tool of helping parents identify where they are in the the authoritative style. And it actually gives them um, some ways that they can uh, work on each of those from adapting to uh, respect, to love, to gratitude. Um, So I'm going really quick here. Then we want to get into uh, baptism. Baptism is the starting point, not the ending point. Let me say that again. Our goal with parents is not to get their child baptized. Our goal with parents is for their child to trust and follow Jesus and be committed in a baptismal relationship that then leads into a whole life of what's next steps. Okay, And so what we have uh, is a baptism process to help parents. The big thing, key here is that there is a sheet in the back that is a thing that the child actually goes through and says, uh, do I understand what sin is? Do I understand who, why Jesus died on the cross? So some understanding things. And then asking the question, do you want to trust and follow Jesus with your whole life? And this booklet helps them with that. So we ha- give them a booklet to say, these are the conversations you need to have. 
You start this conversation when your child is six, seven, and eight. Some young children may already be at a place that they've developed and they really want Jesus to be Lord of their life. A lot of times at around age 10 or 11, they're asking these kind of questions. And so it's a time that we see a lot of kids, um, 9, 10, 11, uh, really asking questions and going to their parents. And so we give them that. The next thing is the uh, next steps, which means we're not just stopping here, right? And that is where you go next. And, and it just is a booklet that we have for parents to walk through. Uh, and it talks about um, what you're learning about Jesus. It talks about uh, praying, how to pray. One of the things we really want to help parents with is that we're not trying to do performance praying, right? Uh, I've been in groups of people that everybody has to pray. You go around the room, everybody prays. And I know that there's kids in there that are atheists and come from atheistic backgrounds. And they're like, I don't know who they're praying to. I don't know. Uh, but helping kids understand that it's a conversation between you and God. And He wants to know your heart. And the disciples wanted to know this too. Jesus teaches how to pray. All right, start off with honoring God. Just start off there. And so it helps you develop a conversation with your children that they can develop a conversation with God that leads through going through the book of John as a family. And so that's kind of a next steps because that shows us a great picture of getting to know who Jesus is. And so it just opens that up. So a couple of tools that we have there, if anybody wants those, we've got um, a place for you to give us your email address and I can send you all of this information. So I don't want it to be overwhelming to you. Um, this is our weekly discipleship map that we're helping parents understand um, kind of what it looks like to disciple your child throughout the week. It means that you make Sabbath more important than anything else. So time, not Sabbath, just going to church because we got to be really busy at church and everybody's expecting us to go serve at church and we're really, really, really tired at the end. But a time to get away from technology. A time to get away from all of the hassles of the week, a time to get refreshed and reset, and a time to worship God. That's really, uh, every week needs to be in there. Uh, studying God's Word, every week we're into God's Word. Memorizing God's Word. We do a thing at our church where we write a uh, song every month. Um, maybe there's somebody at your church that's good at doing that and can take the scripture verse for that month and, and sing it. It's a way that people, everybody in our, our family service learns that song just because it's fun. Uh, but it's putting memory verses into kids' minds and they get 12 a year. So if a kid is in our ministry for seven years, they got a lot of memory verses, right? And so we reinforce that that way. There's lots of different ways to do it. That's just the way that we do it. Building community, them beginning to see themselves in community with people at church, that this is our community. It's not just another thing we do during the week. It's not just another busy activity that we have to check off. But this is our community and uh, helping families do that. Uh, prayer and fasting. Um, we, prayer is easy. In January, we actually do a, a fasting time with families. Uh, that can range from actually uh, doing doing away with one meal during the week or say that you're going to do beans and rice only every Thursday for a month. And every the amount of money that we would normally spend on that, we're going to put in a kitty in the middle of the table. And that's going to go to missions at the end of the month. So we're recognizing what fasting is about. And there's lots of different ways to do that. Uh, protecting and preparing every week. We're asking the question, especially have older kids, five minutes, good grief. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going really fast here. Is everybody with me? Okay. Uh, protecting and preparing is uh, talking about the technology stuff every week, talking about sexual things every week, helping your kids uh, learn how to do that, and then worshiping, uh, finding a time that parents 
and kids worship together so that they actually see each other doing it. And one of the things that's always said in my church uh, is that we need the kids to see dad worshiping and taking notes. And I say, you need to see your kids taking notes and get down and worship on their level. And if they don't see your hands up and you having a good time and laughing about Jesus, they're not going to when they're your age either. And so it's a both end. And so we got, we can't become men. We need to be child, children at heart in the way that we approach children. They love that. They'd see it. And that will be passed on from generation to generation. And then giving and serving. We're looking for opportunities for, uh, fourth grade, fourth grade, fifth grade to serve. We have a family discipleship plan. Uh, so inside of the plan, it's going to, uh, look at family discipleship. The four core areas are spiritual, the uh, discipleship, technology, Identity, education, and activities. Okay, so the for the plan is going to look first at the parents. What are you doing? They write their names here. This is at our summit that we do. They write their name here. The dates. What is the next six months that we're going to be focused on? And then it asks a series of questions based on the vision to nurture the hearts of our children to love uh, to love God and to love others as they guide are guided to adulthood. We're putting that vision in front of them. We're keeping that out there uh, that this is not just to get them through third grade. We are trying to develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Um, the goal is to develop and live out family discipleship culture plan. And then I, we, um, intentionally guide our children to trust and follow Jesus, recognizing that we deal with singles also. And we also deal with people who are um, um, uncles and aunts or uh, grandmothers who are now taking on that discipleship process. So we're not trying to just focus in and say, it's mom and dad. So, so it's an I or we and trying to be inclusive there. Um, and so you can look more at those questions. Then we go through and look at, are you discipling? Are you growing? Are you f- carrying out what it means to trust and follow Jesus with your whole life? And so we give them about eight minutes to go through this. If they're with someone, they go through, are we committed to this? Yes, 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 yes. So it's just a way of recommitting to our family plan. Then we have uh, several sheets where if you've got one child or three children, once you get over three children, we, we call you a quiver. And so we give you extra pages to add, right? And so um, it's just, what is the, what is the uh, child's name? If it's a milestone event, one of those that we talked about, 1, 5, 7, 12, 14, 16, 18, 21, 24. You write there what the milestone event and where they are in the journey. Then you go through and say, when are we going to do these things? When are we going to study God's Word and how are we going to do it? When are we going to memorize God's Word and how are we going to do it? When are we going to be in fellowship and discipleship? When are we going to be praying? So you lay it out and say, this is our plan. This is how we're going to do it. Uh, and all the way down to here are the five to seven people that are intentionally around our children over the next six months that we believe that are going to call out the best of what God wants for their life. You write those names down. Send them a letter. Tell them you're on our list, right? Sometimes it's the people right around the table with you because they're committed just like you are. And then we have these tools down here, the trusting and following God. Is that what we need to do? We need to be talking to them about baptism. Is it the after baptism? They've already been baptized and we need to uh, continue that. The commands of Jesus. We've got a, uh, a booklet that uh, goes through the, uh, in Matthew, it says that we are to go and baptize, baptize in the name of the Father teaching them to observe. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, there are 49 different commands that are in the book of Matthew that said this is what you're supposed to do. So we've spelled those out. And 49 weeks, if a parent goes through one of those a week for 49 weeks, then they just have Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving 
the ad, right? And so those are, those are family traditions. Um, we've got also the Real Life Theology Handbook. Uh, this is great for teenagers, 12 and above, and uh, their parents to walk through what is the real life theology in bite-sized, manageable ways. And so that may be where your, your parent says, yes, I've got a child, 14, 15, we need to go through theology, make sure we're there. Uh, and then the other one, let's see if I've got it here, uh, is the annual family discipleship reading plan. We've actually got a plan here. Let me just die on this hill. Can everybody say it's okay for me to die on this hill? Okay, okay so I'm a, I teach Old Testament um, and New Testament history. And so one of the things I have an opportunity to do is really study the Torah, the Navim, and the Ketavim. I'm, I'm, I'm in the stuff, right? I've got to be because my students are going to ask me questions that if I can't answer them, I look dumb. And I don't want to look dumb, so I study the Bible. <laughs> but there is a Torah that families were responsible for going through every year, every year, 12 times, and memorizing it as a family. It's the first five books of the history. It shows the promises of God. It shows the love of God for His people as they continue to turn away from Him and He pulls them back and loves them well. I believe that the Gospels are that for us. And so I I am on a hill right now and I'll die on it, is that people, children, families need to know who Jesus is. Not stories about Jesus. Not discontinuity of who Jesus is. So I encourage a reading plan that really goes through the uh, Gospels, including John, uh, the Synoptics, and then John every year. That you just start back over. And it's going to take you to the Old Testament because John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It takes us back to the Old Testament. And then it throws us into Revelation. I am going to prepare a place for you. Right? I can go all the way through the Bible as I develop my child, but I've always got a place to go to. And so you can do that. It's in our reading plan, uh, spelled out. It's by weeks. And so it's 49 weeks of this, 49 weeks of the uh, commands. So that gives you a full week of studying God's Word, reading God's Word, except for Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving, when we encourage people to develop unique with their family traditions. One of the things that we find about kids who stay faithful to their faith is that they had traditions as a child that they wanted to carry on as an adult. It's one of the things that we are able to say that's a predictor of whether they're going to stay faithful to their faith. Uh, on the back of this is also just the app for uh, the, the Bible app for kids. If you don't know about that, it's gold. I, we tell people in our church, here's the Bibles we're going to use. You can use any Bible you want to, but we're using the Adventure Bible so that when I'm walking around at church, you will see me every Sunday morning with my Bible under my arm. Kids are walking up, I got my Bible. We want people to fall in love with Jesus' Word. Okay, And so we're still working on this because we all carry it around on our phones, right? And to be honest, that's where I study from a whole lot because I've got things, but I want to keep this in front of the kids so that they can see it and own it. If a child owns their own Bible and wants to carry it, it becomes different than just something that they read when they get to church and we supply them with the Bible. Okay, So we specifically use the Adventure Bible or we encourage that. Okay, uh, Then we talk uh, in, in the uh, Parenting Summit about your culture and your family, about technology. This is a hot button. It's a different time that we would spend together. I can tell, here's, here's my hill to die on on this. If you're not developing your child for technology, which means you're looking at the scope of where you want them to be when they're 16, 17, 18, 19, when they're 12, and you want to lead them there intentionally, 
It's like giving them a gun when they turn 18 and saying, here, figure it out. So we want to come up with, and we're, we're going to spend this year really pushing into this. What is a good way to help a child develop into technology and be able to use it well by the time that they're 18 and own it themselves that they can self-regulate? Because when they hit 18, no self-regulation from you, right? It's going to be all on them. We want to prepare them from a discipleship standpoint. Uh, we look at sexual identity, whole another session that we could go into, but sexual identity starts the moment that your child is born. They're watching mom, they're watching dad, they're figuring out who they are, and so we're reinforcing it through the biblical narrative so that they can go back to the truth and not just cultural demands. You understand what I mean by that? Not just because the culture is demanding us to have an answer for this, but we are giving them the answer for it and talking about it all the time, okay? And so when we come across Scripture verses that may be a little outside of our comfort zone, anybody like to read about David and Bathsheba, we deal with it in such a way that says this is not God-honoring. This is the result of what happens when it's not. And by the time a child is 10 or 11 or 12, they're getting that understanding. And so we can really help them with that. The other thing is education. And I just want to hit these questions with your families. Is your child being taught, exposed to ideology that is against God's plan for their life? If they are, if in, in the area in elementary school, that is going to go into the walls of their life, the ceilings of their life. It's not just a picture hanging on the wall. It is going into their psyche. The reason that it is such a plan right now is because they know the younger they can get kids into the indoctrination process, the more likely it will become normal. Okay, So we have to decide what choices we're going to make and helping families make that choice. That is what Renew Academy is. Some of you are familiar with Renew Academy. It's, a, it's an attempt for us to answer or renew to answer some of these questions. Um, is a child loved by their teacher or caregiver? Uh, it's a question that your parents need to be asking. Is my child being loved by the person who's teaching them? I will take my kid out of a class if the teacher can't tell me that they love my kid. I will figure out how to do something different. This is the only chance I get with this child. I can't leave them in a room for a year when they only have 12 of them with somebody who doesn't say, yeah, he's a real jerk and he's a pain and I love him to death, right? You need that person in their life. Is the child developing their uh, cognitive ability and learning to think for themselves? Are they being indoctrinated or are they being given the opportunity to learn? Just some questions to ask and giving parents the opportunity to look at that. I do want to hit this very quickly. There is a beautiful story around identity and sexuality that we must recapture because we've lost it a generation back over the marriage argument. Okay, That's where we lost this. For children, before they are even conceived... There is either an XY or an XX chromosome that is going into the egg. Once they are conceived, they are already male and female. In my image, God said, I created them male and female. It's a beautiful story. Not only did I create them to be male and female, I created them to be followers of Christ as individuals where there is no male or female. But I bring them back together for the purpose of becoming one flesh. And as a result of that one flesh, now they have the ability in them together that I had at creation to create and procreate. 
And now not only are they procreators where they are procreating for the next generation, they are image bearers of the one who created them, male and female. We must recapture this as a storyline and be proud of it because it's the way our Heavenly Father set it up. We don't have to get into cultural divides to do that. We just tell them the story and we tell it with fervor and love and beauty. We hold on to it because it is really where health comes from. And I would also say this, heterosexual relationships are not godly by default. And so we need to have help with parents who are raising their children to have healthy, heterosexual, God-honoring, one-flesh relationships. So building the culture is not with the kids only. It is for the entire family. All right? The most important thing is parents' role modeling plan from uh, birth to age 24, putting mentors around those children, building a community of believers called the church. Yeah, yeah. And then moving from simulation to application, my last thing, if we tell the kids all the things they need to think and we go through the process and they can regurgitate it all to us, but we've never moved them to being the body of Christ, we have failed in our plans. We have to move from simulation to application. Thanks again for joining us. We will be back on Thursday with our next breakout session. Have a great week.